Welcome to the Writer's Block Party Podcast with your hosts Meredith Bond and Prue Warren, where they discuss every aspect of a writer's life, from the craft of writing and editing, through publishing and marketing, and finally into building a global publishing empire. Here is Mary and Prue. Hi, welcome to the Writer's Block Party podcast. I'm Meredith Bond with... I'm Prue Warren. And today we've got the second part of our editing topic. So um, Prue has been extremely, extremely kind and... (laughs) Stupid, yes. I want to see how you're going to fit this sentence. And patient, because editing is a topic that I have really delved deeply into. Okay, I'll stop you right there. I'm going to edit on that. Editing is so critical and so hard that I don't think anybody who's a writer who would listen to this or who is a co-host by any chance (laughs) uh, feels any confidence at all in the subject of editing. You, I don't think you can go too deep on the subject of editing. I need to know what you know. So let's not say that I'm kind. Let's say that you're kind. Teach me, teach me. Okay. Because editing is absolutely, you are 100% right, Prue. Because editing is, uh, is so vital. It is so important. So mm-hmm. many authors will write that shitty first draft. And <laughs> then... The best- Write the shittiest first drafts. That's my plan. <laughs> yeah, right. and then right. and then it it's better. the editing that makes it into a book, mm-hmm. right? Yep, yep, that makes sense to me. So it's I think so essential, and so I I have delved down deep into it into the topic and I'm studied delighted. it. Okay, so what we have today is. I have a PowerPoint because editing is a topic that I actually give talks on. And so I have my PowerPoint. You will find it in the show notes in a PDF. So as we go through the PowerPoint and talk about it, you at home can listen and follow along with the PDF. (laughs) That's excellent. Okay. That's very but I also think that people listen in the car and on the treadmill and and, and running around. So uh, I'm going to do some describing as well. So people who download the PDF are going to get double information. Cool. I love that. Okay. All right. So we're going to start off with a very, very quick, brief recap of all that we talked about last week, which was types of editing. Right. Right. Uh, that was the topic. But I think a, just a quick review is called for here. Yeah. And also my PowerPoint is broken down into the different types of editing. Okay, good. All right. So the first slide types of editing, and there are three kinds. They're developmental editing, copy editing, and proofreading. And Mary, can you do one sentence on what they are or should I just shut up and wait? No, absolutely. I can. So developmental Developmental editing is the deep, deep dive into the craft of writing, looking at everything thoroughly. The plot cop- and st- Sorry, say that again. Plot, story, character. Point of view. Yes, point absolutely. Of view. Okay. 
copy editing super fast is the grammar and looking for repetition and making sure that things uh, stay the same throughout the story. So, you know, the hero has blonde hair at the beginning, his hair is still blonde at the end. <laughs> well, unless there was a dye job. I right. just got copy edits back from my copy editor. Um, the development, the developmental editor sent me changes and it took me weeks to, to enact her vision, which was much stronger. The copy editor sent me changes and I was able to accomplish all the edits or discount them if I disagreed in two days. So the copy editing is much more technical. It's much easier to say, yeah, there does need to be a comma there. You're right. So uh, copy editing is much easier. It's nowhere near as much like transactional analysis as developmental editing. Exactly. Exactly. And proofreading is um, checking for typos and double checking that grammar. Excellent. Okay. Good. We're going to flip to our first slide, which is part one, developmental editing. Good. Uh, (laughs) Read it. Read it because that's cute. (laughs) That's right. It's cute. The, the number one advice in developmental editing is don't write the parts that readers will skip. I'm, I'm compelled to write that down as you <laughs> don't write the parts readers will skip. Because I, we yeah, know, yeah. we all know that as we're sitting and reading a book, you there'll be like this long blown out description or tons of backstory that just have nothing to do with the story that you're reading and you're just like yeah flip page flip the page flip the page okay here we are back to our story okay so don't write those parts that's the glorious thing about romance i don't think people who who write the great american novel believe that they can skip the part that readers they don't that they have they, they believe they have to write the parts even if readers will skip them but romance is written purely for joy it is written purely it purely to make people happy. So you don't have to put in the boring parts. I like that. I don't think I ever considered that out loud before. I like it. Well done. Good rule. Glad you like it. <laughs> I have to admit that one time, the first time I absolutely thoroughly and strictly adhered to that rule, I ended up with a super duper short book. <laughs> And I had to go back and add some subplots. <laughs> but, that, but that's you know that's that's an interesting point because I mean there's there's the detail that bogs things down, and there's the detail that adds the juice. Right. And and I think it probably just takes a little bit of experience to know the difference. Yes. Yeah. So I did have to go back and add in more description and backstory and so on, and and you know do it right, sprinkle it through the book. Mm-hmm. Which, mm-hmm. which made it longer and also mm-hmm. deepen the characters to, to also make it deeper and longer. And mm-hmm. it worked out, <laughs> but it but took a, a lot of work. Don't write the parts readers will skip because I, I spend a lot of time considering backstory on my character and I don't necessarily have to show what I've discovered. You don't have to go through the entire backstory. As long as you know it, you don't have to show it. Right. Absolutely. All right. Excellent. Good. Good. All right. Um, Next, you should know story structure. You should really understand what structure, what story structure your book is following. Now, for those... The one one you've got on the screen, these six points, 
this is the basic structure of a romance. Is it probably also the basic structure of any good novel? It is the basic structure of any novel. Um, If you are writing high literature, then (laughs) perhaps it is not the structure that you are following. Perhaps you are not following any structure, in which case you will probably end up with a lot of very confused readers saying, oh, wow, that's really deep. (laughs) You listen, there's a masterwork, but I don't want to read it. Exactly. But if you are writing a a story that has a line, you know, a through line going, then you need all of these points. In the first point, you need to have an inciting event. About the first quarter mark, you want a first, you want a turning point that shifts the story into a new direction. At about the halfway or a little past the halfway point, you want either a point of no return or a crisis of some sort in a romance. Of course, that's where the hero and heroine either first kiss or first have sex or realize that there's something really deeper there. And then at about the 75% mark, you want that black moment. And after that, you get this climax where everything is falling apart and then everything is super wonderful. And then we come up to it, the resolution where everybody is just celebrating and having a great time. Happily ever after. Happily okay, ever after. Okay, so for people listening, here are the six points in the story structure. Inciting event, first turning point, point of no return, black moment, climax, resolution. That's the basic story structure. Exactly. Of course, story structure can be structured in many, many different ways. Ooh, there's a pretty slide here. You can, this is my hero's journey slide, and it is taken from Volger's The The Writer's Journey, which is a fantastic book. Christopher Volger. V-U, Volger? V-O-L-G-E-R, Volger, I think. Volger. Or it's Vogler, Vogler, (laughs) V-O-G-L-E-R. Okay. Slight slight (laughs) dyslexia here, going off the top of my head. And what was the name of the book? The Writer's Journey. Ooh, the writer's journey. So this would be a good one for me to read. It would be an excellent one for you to read. I he, will add to the show notes too. Yes. He okay. takes the the hero's journey and really makes it very, very applicable to all modern day writers. Okay. Excellent. Do you want to go over that slide or do you think it's more confusing for people who can't see it? I think it would be kind of confusing, but I mean, mm-hmm. if you know the hero's journey, it is basically that but it's also, it's simplified slightly. And so it's basically the hero's journey split up into three acts. Well, I'm looking forward to that book too. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great book. Absolutely wonderful. Once you looked, once you have looked at the entire big picture story structure, then you have to look more closely at each scene because every scene follows its own structure and its structure will look almost identical to that of the big story structure. You still need an inciting event. You still need a major turning point. You still need a crisis and a resolution. Now, that being said, your inciting event could happen in the previous scene and Mm. your resolution could happen in the following scene. Because this is... This is more mutable. This is more plastic. Attempting to get these story structure elements into a book is obvious, but in a scene, uh, things are kind of stretched out in different places. Yeah. The resolution for a scene doesn't may not come until four chapters later. Yeah. 
because that that's what drives your reader through the story and keeps them moving forward. Okay. Okay. All right. That's, that's, it's, um, it makes me nervous to think it because the book that I've written, I'm sure I could probably go through and say, okay, here's a scene here. Here are the components, the goal, the motivation, the conflict, but it makes me nervous to think that if I haven't done it yet, maybe I have some scenes that aren't fulfilling their uh, purpose. Oh, yeah. So, so as I go through and edit, you would say, look at every scene. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Now Absolutely. I'm looking at a slide that the viewer can't see. And it looks like you, I mean, the components that you've got here, goal, motivation, conflict, turning point, disaster, story question. Oh, look, you've got other questions up in much smaller. Oh, there's a lot going on here. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, I, I have a copy of um, my, I have a scene worksheet that I have here on my slide, which just, it includes the scene title and where it takes place and the length of the scene and at the time that it takes place and the weather, if it's appropriate, who the POV character is, what that character's goal is. Do you go through after you've written a book or do you do this while you're writing the book and literally fill the scene, scene sheet out? If I'm having difficulty writing a scene, if it's just not coming to me just naturally and with knowing how I think it should go, then sometimes, yeah, I'll stop and, and write out this, this worksheet. I'm going to download this from the show notes because I bet that this would be a very illuminating exercise for me in my book. I, 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 I fear that I would find errors, but, but it would probably be very uh, instructional. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's fine. God damn it, Mary. That looks hard. I'm All right. So sorry. <laughs> I am really making you work, woman. I know, I know. Okay. A developmental editor or you, as you are going through and analyzing your own book, need to look at your characters. You need to make sure that you can complete the goal, motivation, and conflict sentence, which is your character, their name, needs whatever their goal is because whatever their motivation is, but there's that conflict. Therefore, they're going to do this. Mm-hmm. This one's not as hard. Good. Because I think when I think this one is, uh, my the version I use is every the major characters have goals that they think they want and goals that they actually need. And when those two are in conflict, then you have a story. Mm, that's very so. Good. My version is internal and external needs. But I think I think I could do this for all my characters. Excellent. That is very good. <laughs> characters much more fun than scenes. Scenes has me a little nervous, but okay. <laughs> so you say you have to know your characters' quirks, ticks, mannerisms, favorite words. Do you use a um, like um, I'm writing in Scrivener and they will they have a character sheet where you can fill out a character sheet that says, what's the backstory? What does this person physically look like? What is this person, you know, what's the family life like? Do you use anything like that when you do it? I do. I have my own character examination sheet that I use. And I'm so sorry to tell you this, but I sell them on Etsy. (laughs) (laughs) Show notes. All right. I'm going to get your, we're going to put that up, uh, how to find it on Etsy. Yeah. And I can put on a coupon too. Character examinations chart. Yeah. All right. Okay. Keep going. 
Okay. Pacing. The pacing okay. of your book is so important because if it's too slow, your reader's going to put the book down and just forget to pick it back up again. And right. if it's too fast, then you're going to tire your reader out and they're going to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. You need mm-hmm. the right pacing for um, for the story. You need it to come to go fast and to go slow and to know how to make it slower and to make it faster. Um, long sentences make the pacing slower. Short sentences make the pacing faster. So if you are writing a battle scene or a fight scene or an argument, you want it in short, choppy sentences because the reader will just zip through it. If you have a long romantic scene where they go for a walk, I just wrote a scene in my book where the hero and heroine go for a walk through a garden and end up in an orchard. And it was slow and romantic and the moonlight shone on her face and, you know, all that crap. (laughs) So I wrote it in longer sentences so that it could, so that my reader could wallow in the moment. Do you do it instinctively or consciously? Um, I do it instinctively. And then when I go back and edit, I make sure of it and do it consciously. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, by the way, just in case you're wondering, Prue, that yes. picture that I have yes. on my slide, that is yes. my daughter when she was two. Oh, she's precious. <laughs> Look at that little cutie. She is. She was adorable. My, she was so annoyed when I put that picture up. <laughs> <laughs> don't go up. Don't go past the slide, though. Oh, because the slide says pacing and we talked about beats. Now, what do you mean? A sequel consists of three elements. What does that mean? Are you literally talking about the sequel to a book? No, no. The sequel to a scene. So some scenes require a sequel scene after it, or it's sort of a a half scene, if you will. Okay. Because it's not a complete scene. It doesn't have that, you know, instigating event and climax and turning point and resolution. It's instead, it's a sequel where the characters stop and think about what just happened that reaction Mm -hmm. their emotional Mm -hmm. response or to what just happened they um realize and think about what the dilemma is that they are going through and then they come to a decision Mm -hmm. based on their analysis of what's happening and decide on how to move forward Mm -hmm. okay okay all right So not all scenes need a sequel, but sometimes, especially when you've got a lot of really fast scenes happening, boom, 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 lots of exciting things happening, then you want to stop and let your reader take a breath. Mm -hmm. And they do so in this sequel where they can analyze what's been going on and decide on how to move forward. And do you actually think of it as being about half the length of a scene or, or is that just sort of a, a generalization? I mean, it's not a complete scene. Yeah, it's just not a complete scene. Okay. Okay. All right. Yep. Ready? We're moving on. Moving to on. To setting in uh, Stephen King's fantastic book on writing. Yes, I've read that one. Yes. So if you remember in that book, he asks the reader to close their eyes 
and to imagine a table. And on that table is a rabbit. Now, who you can imagine that, you can picture that in your head. Is there a tablecloth on the table? Not in mine. Right. 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 Is the rabbit in a cage or just sitting on the table? (laughs) Is the rabbit white or is it gray or is it brown? It doesn't matter to the story, the details that you put in. It makes it richer for you. So I can tell you in my book, I can very generally describe a scene. There is a table with a rabbit on it. (laughs) And I can leave it at that because my readers will then, in their own imagination, create whatever they are comfortable with, whatever they're familiar with, whatever they like. Likewise, I once read, I forget which romance author it was. Oh, I think it was Jenny Cruzy. Jenny Cruzy once said that she never describes the hero, whether he's got facial hair or not, because huh. some women love facial hair and some women hate it. <laughs> yes. And so she leaves that open to the reader. So, yes. That, that seems peculiarly specific, though. Well, yeah. But, you know, for for uh, romance authors, it it's a good thing. It's very interesting. Yeah. It's very interesting. So. I mean, I might as well say uh, some women like tall men and some women like short men. I won't, I won't say whether he's tall or some women like redheads and some women like black men and some women like, you know, I mean. Yeah. I. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I can get behind that. I mean, I love her work. I love her. I love her books. Mm-hmm. That's weird though. I'm not, I, I'm not sure I'm, I'm not sure I'm committed to that. Okay. <laughs> okay. Look at you. That's, I don't care. <laughs> that is totally fine. They're your books. You can describe your characters in as much detail as you want, right? but right? do remember that the reader will put on their own, own sure, covering and, and their, Right. Their own their own imagination will add right. to it. Right, 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 right. Theater right. of the mind always more vivid than than actual theater. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I think what King said was make it evocative, not thorough. That's good. Yes. That I. Yes. Okay. And of course, you have to balance description and dialogue, and you have to balance internal and external thoughts, you know, internal thoughts and and dialogue, which is external thoughts. Um, And think about the role that your setting plays in your story. Mm -hmm. Does it reflect the character's values? Does it reflect the emotions? Does it reflect a problem, the internal conflict of the characters that the characters are going through? So it's an opportunity to enrich your story by designing a scene that echoes something that's going on in the person's mind. Exactly. Hmm. It's interesting that you've got the phrase balance, description, and dialogue on the settings page, because, you know, I, if you, if you had said to me, what do we know about setting? I would have said that bit about, you know, you can, you can make a setting that, that reflects the state of mind, but I would not have said, make sure you're balancing description and dialogue, but you're right. That is part of establishing a setting, establishing a place. Yep. Okay, Good. And so, and likewise, so when your characters walk into a brand new room, we don't need a thorough description of that room all at once. Right. Especially right. if there, there is other action 
taking place, which there should be, then you want to highlight what is essential so that the Mm -hmm. reader isn't in a black box so that they can imagine generally where the characters are. Mm -hmm. Good. Okay. So far, scene analysis is the worst thing for me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And then we get to point of view, which we discussed in our second episode. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go through this really briefly. Um, There is the objective or camera eye point of view where we are essentially a fly on the wall. We can see everybody, we can hear everybody, but we don't know what anybody is thinking. We have the- that's, 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 uh, that's Georgette Hare and Princess Bride. Exactly, absolutely. Okay. It's, a, it's, a, it's a common style from the past. It's not so common now. Right. Okay. Um, and although it has been used to great effect, if you are a Harry Potter fan, the seventh book of the Harry Potter series, the very first scene is written in an omniscient, in an objective point of view, because we are seeing the bad guys all around a table discussing what they're going to do. And Rowling did not want us to feel anything for those bad guys because they're the bad guys. They're the antagonists. And so we are we don't get into anybody's mind. We simply see and hear what they are doing. And then That's the, pretty- the following chapter, we are in Harry's point of view, feeling what he's feeling, knowing what he knows. We are in his direct second person point of view or third person point of view. Okay, good. All right. Okay. So of course there's second person, which is you for those people who love those choose your own adventure books. And there's first person, which is I. And um, there's third person, single, multiple, and deep. Okay. Uh, Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. (laughs) Hold on. Third person, single. You're only talking about what the hero does throughout the story. Exactly. We are only seeing the entire story through one person's point of view. But you're not putting it as I went to the store. You're saying he went. Exactly. Multiple is one chapter is he went to the store and the second chapter is she went to the store. Exactly. And, and now person deep, help mm-hmm. me. And then deep is what we discussed, which is you can be deep in multiple points of view. Okay. So this okay. is the same uh, deep POV from the first person. It's just not with me. Exactly. Um, you skipped neatly over omniscient. Oh, I'm so sorry. Omniscient is um, where we know. know, Yes, exactly. We know everything that is going on. We know what is in. Is there an example? Is there an example of an omniscient point of view? Yeah. I mean, you did so well with Harry Potter on objective (sighs) third person deep. Um, Put it it in the show notes. Yeah, I'll have to. I'll have to look. I can only think of one of my client's books, which is an omniscient. Okay. And so I can't, I'm, I'm there. Um, actually, you know what? Great Gatsby. The Great Gatsby has a narrator who will tell us everything. He's looking back on everything. So he knows what's going to happen. And he knows what everybody's thinking. He okay. knows what everybody is feel- feeling. Good. That's good. Okay. Well done. Boy, hey. on the spot. Pulled that one out. Ha. Hey, Mary. Okay. (laughs) And the final one on the list is head hopping. Right. So head hopping is where you're switching back and forth between two 
different people's points of view so that you, I'm sorry. It's frowned upon now. It is because you don't know exactly um, whose brain you're in, which can get confusing. And is there a difference between omniscient and head hopping? Yes, because in omniscient, you are an absolutely everybody's point of view from the guy sweeping the street as he passes by to the hero and the heroine and the heroine's best friend and the hero's third cousin. Mm -hmm. In head hopping, we are only in two points of view, but we're bopping back and forth between the two of them. Okay. All right. All right. I'm having enough trouble with first person deep POV. I'm not going to get into. (laughs) Don't get into head hopping. I'm not risking that one. Yeah. Okay. Okay. For dialogue, when you are looking at your dialogue, you need to read it out loud. Oh, I agree with that. Because that is the only way to know whether it sounds right. Mm -hmm. If when you read it out loud, you are stumbling over words, you need to rewrite it. If it doesn't sound right to your own ear, you need to rewrite it. So read it out loud. Okay, let me ask you this, because I just got back. I said I got the the edits back from the copy editor. Mm -hmm. And... She's very, very good at consistency, but I would say, um, let's meet at 11 tomorrow morning. And she would change it to let's meet at 11 colon zero zero tomorrow morning. And I disagreed because even though it's, it's correct to, to write it out 11 colon zero zero, nobody would say 11 colon zero zero. I mean, no one would say 11 o'clock. They'd say we'd meet at 11. What do you think? Sometimes people say 11 o'clock. Yeah, but, but if I want to say 11 o'clock, I type in the word o'clock. Exactly. You I wouldn't would never do the... Right. Yes. So, okay. Then I feel justified. I'm not sure if you're sure that you agreed with me, but I have insisted that you do agree with me, and I win. <laughs> That's all you that win. matters. I agree. Okay. Just Excellent. make sure you write out the word 11 and don't just have the numbers. I think I think, I think I didn't. I think I will. Okay, Mary. Okay. Okay. I will. Yes. All numbers should be written out unless they're something enormous or a year. Well, and I also, I, I chose root numbers and like a Mac 10, you still have the 10 if it's in a title or something. Yes, exactly. So I do have, I do have a list. I'm developing a style guide. (laughs) (laughs) So impressive of me. I'm interrupting. Go back to dialogue, read it out loud. Okay. So read it out loud. Um, And also look at your dialogue tags. That is um, the he said or she exclaimed. Mm -hmm. Or that is a dialogue tag. If instead of having that, you have a period at the end of the piece of dialogue and then she walked across the room. Right. That's an action tag. Now, I prefer action tags unless things are getting complicated. Exactly. Your action tags are much better than dialogue tags. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if you can avoid dialogue tags, do it. Okay. And I think we should probably have a a podcast just on dialogue, but we can discuss that later. I'm up for that. But one of the things you've got, the next thing on your, on your dialogue slide is the balance of internal and external dialogue. Which I mentioned earlier, but yeah. It belongs here. One of the things that that I'm having trouble with is this premise that if you have an internal monologue going on, someone is saying something to themselves, you're supposed to put it in italics. But 
if I'm writing in the first person, the whole freaking book has to be in italics. I'm having trouble with that one. Yeah, if the whole book is in first person, you don't need to put them in italics. Good. I have some people I need to address. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I always write in third person, and I frequently do not put my internal dialogue into italics. It's just, it is your own style. Okay. Good. Good. Thank you. Sure thing. All right. Okay. I'm going to go on to the next slide, and then we're going to take a look at the time. Okay. All right. Okay. So this is the last slide in my developmental editing section. And it, yep, and it addresses show and tell. Good um, slides. Uh, good, good images on your slide. If someone wants to download it, they'll be entertained by those images. I'm sure. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay, so um, the old adage is show, don't tell. However, sometimes you need to tell. And sometimes uh-huh. you should not be showing. Uh-huh. Showing is drawing your readers into the story by letting it live, by letting them live it through description, dialogue, and action. That's on the slide. So, if your story reads, Susan woke up and slammed her hand down onto the beeping alarm clock. She dragged herself up out of bed, stumbled over a pair of jeans, and went into the bathroom. There, she peed and then brushed her teeth. <laughs> As she came out of the bathroom, she pulled her t-shirt off of her, over her head and picked up a random bra off of the floor. She put it on, stumbling over the clasp, finally got it cu- hooked, found a t-shirt, those jeans she had stumbled over before, and then tumbled down the stairs. Susan's kind of nasty. Do we need all of that description? We do not need all of that description. No, we I like, do I, not. The, the alarm clock. I mean, I like knowing that she hates waking up in the morning. I'm with her there. Right. But all we really need to know is that she woke up and went down for breakfast. Or right. she woke up, got dressed, and went down for breakfast. We uh, don't she need. Playing and went down for breakfast. I mean, you, so your detail can, can, can inform a little bit more than just, I mean, I, yeah. Okay. Sorry. Right. So if, if it's important to know that Susan is an absolute slob, then yeah, maybe we want to show her stumbling over her jeans and picking up a bra off the floor. If that is not germane to the story, we don't need it. Agreed. Okay. So when you should tell is when you need to compress time. And when mm-hmm. something is just not important enough to show. Well, this is also back to the first slide. Um, don't write the parts readers will skip. Exactly. When you've got something a reader's going to skip, go ahead and tell a quick summary and then move on. Exactly. So, and and when, you know, your character is going from place A to place B, we don't need to see the entire journey on the way there. Amen. Right? That's right. Yep. So there are plenty of times when you do not want to show that you do want to tell. Okay. All right. Okay. Yep. And then we will leave part two. Yeah. For next week. For next week. And I have to go back through my book and apply what I've learned anyway. There you go. So you have homework to do. (laughs) I do have homework to do. And the scene, the scene one is going to be tricky. I'm a little worried about the scene one, but it'll be, I'll learn. I'll get better because of it. Yes. Thank you. Exactly. 
All right, then. Okay. So next, next week, week, we'll finish with editing, self-editing, because there's as much as I can handle now. Mm-hmm. And anybody who has questions is welcome to ask them. Absolutely. And I'll make up an answer, and Mary will actually answer you. <laughs> or maybe I'll make up an answer, and then you can actually answer. Oh, you know. Whatever it is, you know, where did I leave my red shoes? Oh, they're under the bed. Oh, thanks, Mary. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so write a question if you have one, and you can do that on our website at thewritersblockpartypodcast.com and tell your friends who are writers that they should be listening to us, and we're on everywhere. If you can get a podcast somewhere, check out thewritersblockpartypodcast.com, which I can now say, And you can rate us on Apple, right? You can give us stars. That's yes. nice. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to Glory, who <gasps> wrote us a wonderful review. Thank you so much, Glory. We thank really you. love your review. Thank you, Glory. Thank you. I didn't know. I'm going to go look it up. Now you have to That's go look funny. it up. Anybody else who might possibly be listening should feel a little bit ashamed that they haven't written us a glowing review also. Not to make you feel too guilty, but come on. Look how awesome <laughs> Glory is. Glory is our hero. <laughs> All right. Um, what other, we'll have a lot of things in the show notes. I've got a, lot, a long list of things we're going to put in the show notes for this. And uh, we'll be back next week with more to blow my mind and maybe yours too. Okay. All right. Thanks everybody for listening. That's it for the Writer's Block Party this week. We don't want you getting so drunk on knowledge that you can't drive your laptop safely. But next week we'll be here before you know it, so check out the website at thewritersblockpartypodcast.com. One word. That's where you can find our archive of past podcasts and a place where you can get in touch with Mary and Prue or ask questions for the next podcast. Write with joy, friends, and see you next week. Bye.